Um, but hey, seriously, it's an amazing privilege to be with you. Um, I, I know your language was I've been assigned here, but I would have volunteered to come here. Honestly, seriously, it's an amazing privilege. And I know I'm old compared to many of you, but it is a great privilege to share with you and hopefully uh, share something that will encourage you and is relevant to your journey and your context. And it's been an amazing uh, weekend. I've just had so much fun uh, at the retreat uh, this last couple of days and so well looked after. The hospitality has been amazing and it's been just stunning. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much. And if this is your first time connecting with me, hopefully you'll get my accent okay and you'll be able to follow with me. If you've been in some of the sessions uh, then, then you'll know sort of what I'm like and where I'm going with all of this. So hopefully uh, we can make sense of it all. So it's my joy for the next few moments to just share something from the Bible, and I would love to be able to do that. So if you've got a Bible with you in whatever form you have it, I'm going to take a reading from Genesis chapter 27. Uh, so right at the beginning of the Bible, we're going to read together. So uh, I'm not sure if the stuff will come up on the screen or whether you could just follow it. So I want to talk um, tonight about the subject of when, when hiding hurts, when hiding hurts. And I really feel God has laid this on my heart for this group. So, so hopefully this will encourage you. Now, before we read Genesis 27, because it's a bit of a long reading, but we really need to read it or else the sermon won't work. Uh, you've you've got to get sort of this story. Uh, let me give you a little bit of background. A man called Isaac gets married to a lady called Rebecca, and um, they are childless, and Isaac calls her to God. God hears his prayer, and Rebecca gets pregnant. She doesn't just get pregnant with one baby. She gets pregnant with twins. And as the, the twins are growing in her womb, they start fighting together, wrestling together, and she receives this word, that the older twin will serve the younger. So this comes as a word to Rebecca, and she tends to hang on to this. As the babies are born, the firstborn is born, a boy called Esau, and his brother literally is grabbing his heel on the way out. And uh, I, I, we, we had a midwife in our church, and I said to her, have you ever seen that? She said, never. The incredible thing, that, that Jacob grabs the heel of his brother. And in fact, that's why he's called Jacob. His name sort of means grasper, someone who grasps after something. So Esau's born first, Jacob's born second. As a result, Esau has the birthright, which essentially means when his dad dies, he's going to get the whole estate. He's going to get everything. And Jacob wants this. And so previous to this story, Jacob has sort of tricked his brother into signing over the birthright for essentially a Big Mac and fries and a large milkshake, essentially. Um, so he signs it over for a bowl of stew. Incredible moment, one of the most galactically stupid moments in the Bible. Esau, this is really absolutely Premier League stupidity. He hands over his birthright for a bowl of stew. Unbelievable, right? So we know there's a bit of tension between the boys. Now, uh, the story as we're about to pick it up is Isaac is about to die and not only uh, does he want to prepare for that, but he wants to bless the oldest son. It's a special ceremony that he wants to confer a special blessing on his firstborn son. And this is where we pick up the story. Okay, it's, uh, this is one of the most audacious acts of deception in the whole of the Bible. Uh, so fasten your seatbelt as you hear some amazing things. Here we go. Verse 1 of Genesis 27. 
says this, when Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see, he called for Esau, his older son, and said to him, my son, here I am. He answered, Isaac said, I am now an old man and don't know the day of my death. Now then get your weapons, your quiver and your bow and go out to the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare me the kind of tasty food I like and bring it to me to eat so that I may give you my blessing before I die. Now, Rebekah was listening as Isaac spoke to his son Esau. When Esau left for the open country to hunt game and bring it back, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, Look, I overheard your father say to your brother Esau, Bring me some game and prepare me some tasty food to eat so that I may give you my blessing in the presence of the Lord before, you die, before I die. Now, my son, listen carefully to me and do what I tell you. Go out to the flock and bring me two choice young goats so I can prepare some tasty food for your father just the way he likes it. Then take it to your father to eat so that he may give you his blessing before he dies. Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, but my brother Esau is a hairy man and I'm a man with smooth skin. What if my father touches me? I would appear to be tricking him and it would bring down a curse on myself rather than a blessing. His mother said to him, my son, let the curse fall on me. Just do what I say. Go and get them for me. So he went and got them and brought them to his mother, and she prepared some tasty food just the way his father liked it. Then Rebekah took the best clothes of Esau, her older son, which she had in the house, and put them on her younger son, Jacob. She also covered his hands and the smooth part of his neck with the goat skin. Then she handed to her son Jacob the tasty food and the bread she had made. He went into his father and said, my father. Yes, my son, he answered, who is it? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done just as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. Isaac asked his son, how did you find it so quickly, my son? Oh, the Lord, your God, give me success, he replied. Then Isaac said to Jacob, come near so that I can touch you, my son, to know whether you really are my son Esau or not. Jacob went close to his father, who touched him and said, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him, for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau. So he blessed him. Are you really my son Esau, he asked I am, he replied. Then he said, my son, bring me some of your game to eat so that I may give you my blessing. Jacob brought it to him and he ate and he brought some wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come here, my son, and kiss me. So he went to him and kissed him. When Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him and said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you heavens of heaven's dew and of earth's richness an abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed and may those who bless you be blessed. We'll leave it there. Uh, I, Jacob leaves the room, and just as he exits the building, Esau walks in, and it all kicks off. And you can read that a little bit later uh, for yourself. Now, I don't know about you, but we've sort of all got used to wearing masks, haven't we? 
As a preacher, it's a really disturbing thing to look at all you lovely people with a mask on because I have no idea whether you are enjoying this, whether you're smiling, whether you're frowning, whether you are in sort of the third level of a coma, whether something is going on or you're really engaged. Really, really difficult. But we've all got used to wearing masks, haven't we? Uh, and we, Don and I were flying uh, from here, from, from London to here, a 13 and a half hour flight. Uh, and we got onto the, to, to, to the plane to hear the words, you need to keep your mask on for the whole journey. Okay. And so you're wearing the mask. And I don't know if you've had this experience. Let me, this wonderful experience. By the way, the guy next to me, this is why he, is this, this was how he was wearing his mask. Okay. All right, mate, that's not going to work. All right. If you've got COVID, I've now got COVID. Come on, put your mask back on. And then people wear their mask like that, don't they? All right, I'm wearing my mask, but I'm not wearing my mask. I'm sort of, but anyway, 13 hours on the plane wearing a mask. And when you've had a mask like this on for forever, one of the most gorgeous feelings now that humans have experienced is taking it off, right? Isn't that amazing? Okay, well, it is to me. It's an amazing, honestly. You're clearly, keep your mask on. When you go to bed, keep it on. Do not take it off. You clearly love your mask. There's something quite marvelous now about taking off that mask because when you're wearing it, it just feels very oppressive. And then you take it off and you go, oh, just gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. And although we've all got used to wearing masks, uh, for humans, mask wearing is not a new phenomenon. Humans have been wearing masks in one form or another for like thousands of years. And in our story, we've got one of the most audacious mask wearing moments in the Bible. In fact, I would go so far as to say that, that this stands out as the most amazing act of deception that you're going to get. You're talking about Father's Day next, next week, uh, but this is one of the most amazing acts of deception between a father and his son. It's an incredible story. In fact, if it wasn't in the Bible, we wouldn't believe it was in the Bible. It's that outrageous, and it's audacious, and it's incredible, and it's mind-blowing, and it's happening right there. And the Lord doesn't include this because he's necessarily condoning this behavior. He's including this because he wants to show us what humans are capable of. And here we've got an audacious act of mask wearing. Now, let me remind you of the language of Rebecca. So here's Rebecca's words. Rebecca says, says this, then Rebecca took the best clothes of her older son, Esau, which she had in the house, and she put them on her son, Jacob. Wow. So she takes Esau's clothes, first of all, for this act of deception, because she wants Jacob to go in and essentially take from Isaac what was originally assigned to Jacob. Uh, sorry, she wants to take, she wants him to take from Isaac what is originally assigned to Esau. So she now puts on Esau's clothes. So he's got Esau's clothes on. And then it gets even worse than that. She says, uh, then she also covered his hands and the smooth part of his neck with the goat skin. So Rebecca understands that if Jacob is going to get this incredible blessing from his dad, then he's going to have to put a mask on. He's going to have to actually disguise himself. He's going to have to cover up. But, but I want to ask the question in the context of our gathering, why such a cover-up? Why 
did she have to go to such lengths to cover her favorite son up? And if you, if you read this story, this is a pretty dysfunctional family. It's pretty amazing that the Bible includes this. Isaac really loved Esau, and Rebecca really loved Jacob. And there's sort of a, a mini war going on in the context of this house. Isaac wants to bless Esau. Rebecca's listening to the conversation. It's like something out of a, out of a soap. And, and she goes and gets Jacob, and now she sticks Jacob under the hands of his dad, Isaac. But why did she go to such trouble? Why is she working so hard to, to uh, as it were, hide him or cover him? And I want to suggest three things to you, three ideas within the story, which I think are very powerful to us in our own journey in the 21st century. Here's the first idea. She covers him up to hide who he was. In order for Jacob to get this blessing, he cannot be himself. So in order for him to get this, he's got to hide himself. You with me? And look, listen to what it says in the text. Very, very powerful verse. Verses 11 to verse 12. Jacob said to Rebekah, his, uh, his mother, but my brother Esau is a hairy man while I have a smooth skin. What if my father touches me? I would appear to be tricking him and would bring down a curse on myself rather than a blessing. Jacob understands, hold on a minute, you're asking me to hide myself. And this is a risky strategy because if my father discovers that it's not me, then not only will I not get the blessing, but I could get something much, much worse for this. And now, now remember, here's what I want you to realize. Sometimes we read the story and we think Jacob was a kid. He was a, a young boy. Jacob's probably about 40 at this stage. All right, so he's not a child. He's not like, you know, 12 years old being pushed around by a bossy mom. He is probably around about 40 years of age, according to the timeline, if we can work this out. So this is a grown man who has his own life and doing stuff. And he, he's giving in to the pressure of his mom, this peer pressure, this parent pressure that is putting on him because she wants him to be something. She wants him to have something. She wants him to get something. And so Jacob goes, okay, I'll go along with it. Even though, as we can see from this text, Jacob knows deep down this is a really stupid thing to do. This is a bad idea. But instead of standing up and strongly saying, not only is it a bad idea, I'm not doing it, he says, it's a bad idea, but yeah, let me go and get the goats. And so he gives in to the pressure that's around him to become someone he is not, to hide himself. And that's, there's a lot of that going on. There's a lot of pressure in our world for you to hide yourself. There may even be pressure within your world to hide yourself. There is a lot of pressure sometimes even within the religious world for us to hide ourselves. But, but here it is, a mother getting her son to hide himself because that's the only way he is going to get this blessing which she wants him to have. See what's going on there? And he finds himself almost strong-armed into the presence of Isaac. As I said at the beginning, I am a Liverpool supporter. I love Liverpool. You will never walk alone. And I believe... Yeah, I, come on now. I, I, believe, I believe Jesus is a Liverpool supporter because, 
because you'll never walk alone. That's straight out of the Bible. I mean, that's absolutely straight out of the Bible. If you're, listen, if you're a Manchester United supporter here, just a little thought for you. Your shirt has the devil on it. I just want you to think about that. I just want you to reflect on that with me for a moment. You'll never walk alone, Liverpool, Man United, devil. Let's, let's, just, let's just call on the Lord to help us guide us here on this issue. Lord, what should I do? Well, what you should do is take that Man United shirt, burn it, and cross over to the proper side and join Jesus' football club, which is Liverpool. Come on, you'll never walk alone. Now, I am a Liverpool, I am a bit of a fanatic, and I do love Liverpool, and I have a very long-suffering wife who doesn't love football, doesn't love Liverpool. When she's watching me watching football, she thinks I have gone crazy, uh, she, she's, but she's very long-suffering, and lets me do it. Thank you. I really do appreciate it. Yes, she does deserve a round of applause. And I've got, I've got my, all my Liverpool memorabilia hanging up in the garage. Uh, so it's not allowed in the house, but it's in the garage anyway, so I've got it there. Now, now, I would love to go every week and watch Liverpool, but I really can't. Number one, because it's super expensive. And number two, because of the ministry stuff that I do, I rarely am able to take a sort of a weekend as a luxury and just go and watch Liverpool. But occasionally I've got to see them. Now, here's my problem. The last three times I've been to see Liverpool, I could only get a ticket in the opposite end, in the opposing supporters' end, okay? And every time I've been to see Liverpool in the wrong end, they've lost. That's what's made it worse. So not only am I sitting in the wrong end with the wrong supporters, but Liverpool loses. It's really painful. And I, and I said to Don, uh, after Liverpool lost to Watford 3-0, I was there. I, I literally was, I was right there. And yeah, they were abusing me, shouting at me, telling me terrible things. And, and I was there to see Liverpool lose that day. And I came home and I said to my wife, I am never watching Liverpool again in the wrong end. He said, she said, okay, okay. And then a friend of mine who's a Tottenham Hotspur season ticket holder came to me and said, I've got a spare Tottenham Hotspur season ticket would you like to go and watch Liverpool play? Before I could answer, he said, now you will be in the Tottenham end. Do you want to go and do it? And, and even though I had sort of told my wife, I will never do this again, I found myself doing it again. <laughs> and so he said to me, now John, you're in, you're in with season ticket holders. You can't wear anything Liverpool. You can't have even anything red. If you're going to wear clothes, they have to be white or blue. Okay, so that's, that's Tottenham colors. You've got to do that. He said, he said, if Liverpool score, keep a lid on it. If Liverpool start thrashing Tottenham, keep a lid on it because these boys will sort you out. They will, they will take you outside and pray for you. <laughs> in, a, in a strange language you've never heard before. So they'll sort you out. And I went, okay, okay, that's great. So we went, now the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium's amazing. At one billion pounds, one billion pounds the stadium cost. It's incredible. And there I am sitting in the Tottenham Hotspur end and the goal's right underneath me. All the Liverpool supporters are in that corner. I can literally see them. I can feel them. I can smell them, <laughs> quite literally. And they're over there sort of, and I'm desperate to be with them. And I'm sitting there enjoying this packed house, incredible atmosphere, and I'm wearing a blue jacket. So I'm mingling with, with the heathens in the Tottenham Hotspur end. 
and then Tottenham score. And everyone around me jumps up and starts screaming. And I went. <laughs> so they're all screaming and shouting, and I'm sort of politely clapping. And, and you could sense that people around me were, what's, what's wrong with him? Anyway, Liverpool equalized. It was 1-1. And I really, I, I did, I sat on my hands. Don't move. Don't shout. I don't want to get thrown out and I don't want to get beaten up. So I sat there and I, I'm absolutely holding it in, which was amazing for me, which my wife will tell you, that's amazing for me. But then Liverpool were all over Tottenham at that stage. And, and right before half time, there was a stonewall penalty. Jota got fouled. It's a penalty. And he's right below me. I'm sitting up here in the, in the high sort of seats. And I can see him right below me. And he's fouled. And I stood up and I went, penalty! And the guy beside me went, are you a scouser? Now, scouser in England means, are you from Liverpool? And I said, no. <laughs> well, I'm not from Liverpool. I'm from Belfast. That's my, the home of my birth. That's the strange accent you're hearing. It's English, but not as you know it. I understand that. And I said to him, no. And he said, you're a Liverpool supporter, aren't you? And I said, yes. <laughs> and he said to me, you're okay. You'll be safe here. Now, the match ended 2-2, and I left alive which was very, very good and marvelous, and, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. But, but here's what I discovered that day. Hiding is exhausting. When you're a Liverpool supporter sitting in the wrong end, and you can't be who you are, it's exhausting. It takes more energy to hide than it does to be real. Amazing. And actually, I want you to hear this truth very powerfully. If you or we have to hide, then what we want is not for us. If you have to hide yourself to get what you think you want or you need, then what you want or you think you need is not for you. God doesn't want you to hide. God wants you to be open and honest and vulnerable and truthful before him because he wants to change the person you are, not the person you're pretending to be. Are you with me? Listen, to, let me say that again. Jesus cannot change the person you're pretending to be. He can only change the person you are. And one of the things the Lord loves is honesty. He loves that. He loves when humans are honest before him. He loves when we stand before him with all our frailty and our brokenness and, and the stuff that we're not sure about and the stuff that, that we'll have struggles with and our anxieties and even our doubts as followers of Jesus. When we stand before him and we are honest with him and we are open with him, even about our struggles, he's not repulsed by that. He doesn't walk away from that. He doesn't look at you and go, come on, get over yourself. Rather, he is attracted to our honesty. He's attracted to the moments when we say, like the man said to Jesus, Lord, I do believe, but help my unbelief. Lord, I'm struggling. 
Lord, I don't get it. Lord, I don't understand. Or, or when we're struggling with ourselves, when we're struggling with an understanding of who we are as followers of Jesus. He's not repulsed by that honesty. He's attracted by that honesty. And let me say this to you. You will never have to hide yourself to get what the Lord has for you. You'll never have to do it. The Lord knows who you are with your mask on or with your mask off. He knows who you are. He knows who you are. He knows everything about you. He knows every detail of your life. And he loves you. He cares for you. He's not disillusioned by you because he's never had any illusions about you in the first place. He knows exactly who you are. He knows where you're from. He knows every detail of your life. Jesus says he knows the very numbers of hairs on your head. He knows the emails that have just come into your account. He knows everything about you and he still loves you. Now, if that's the truth, then why hide? There's no need to hide. There's no need to try and pull the wool over the shepherd's eyes. Did I say that out loud? Yes, I did. Anyway, don't, don't try to do that. Be open and be honest and be vulnerable with him because he loves honesty. He loves honesty. Even if that honesty is difficult, he won't fall off his throne because you're being honest. He's able to cope with that. And, and poor Jacob gets shoved into the presence of his dad, hiding. And he's now, the minute he walks into that room and he goes, hello, dad, the minute he does that, he's in. He's got he's to go all the way now. He's got to now take his hiding and push that all the way to the end. And once you start hiding, it's really hard to stop. Really hard to stop. Because you get good at it. Jacob goes from, are you sure we should do this to, like, professional actor over. Now, what happened? He just moves into overdrive here, and he's just outstanding in hiding. Hiding, in some ways, for humans, comes naturally from the very Garden of Eden when our first parents sinned, they, they hid the first thing they did when they sinned against God was they covered themselves up, literally made aprons for their genitalia, covered their genitalia up, and then they ran from God. They hid behind the bushes. Now, that's a bit of a, that's a, bit of a sign that actually if we're hiding, it's a symptom that either we don't trust the Lord or we don't like ourselves or there's something we're up to that we're not really confident that the Lord's going to agree with. Are you with me? But when we are open, can I say this carefully in, in the context of the Garden of Eden? When we're naked before the Lord, he's drawn to that. He's not repulsed by our nakedness and honesty. He's attracted to it. And if I could say anything to you as next gen, I would say don't hide. Don't hide. You can take your mask off before the Lord. You can take your literal and metaphorical clothes off before the Lord. You can take all the pretense off before the Lord and you can be yourself. And he loves you as your naked self. Come on, you don't need Esau's clothes. You don't need goat skins. You just need to bring yourself to the presence of the Lord. Come on, does that make sense to you? I don't know if it does or not. I hope it does. Here's the second thing about the cover-up. She when Jacob got covered up, he was being covered up to hide himself. Secondly, he's being covered up to become who he was not. That's one thing, hiding yourself. It's one thing, pretending to be somebody else. Look at what he says. Jacob says, uh, Isaac says, who's that? And he says this, I am Esau, 
your firstborn. It's not even like, I'm Esau. He says, I'm Esau, your firstborn. He really rams it home. Like, there's only one Esau in the house. Why does he say firstborn? He's really ramping that up. He's emphasizing that. Clearly a little bit nervous. Clearly a little bit wobbly and shaky. So just in case Isaac has forgotten who Esau is, he says, oh yeah, Esau, your firstborn. And once he says that, he's into the part. He now has become an actor on the stage. One thing to hide yourself, that's something that comes pretty naturally for all of us, but pretending to be somebody else requires a bit of skill, right? Easy to cover up, pretending to be somebody else, much more challenging and much more difficult. I, I uh, still love going to the cinema. I know I'm not sure how popular the cinema is in Singapore and whether we're all shifting to, you know, Netflix and, and uh, whatever else is going on in our world. We have Netflix and we have Prime and we've got all Apple TV. For goodness sake, there's so much stuff you, you have no time to watch. Half of it, it's quite amazing. Uh, and, you know, we're all streaming in different rooms of the house and, and all stuff going on. Uh, but I still love going to the cinema, even though every now and again you meet someone who doesn't know how to behave. In the cinema, you know, the person who brings into the cinema the big bag of crisps or popcorn that really rattles and makes a noise. You hate those people, don't you? You just want to go, hey, can you eat quietly for goodness sake? Or the person that talks really loudly. You know, I like getting to the cinema early to watch the trailers. See, when you're talking through the trailers, I really, I want to, I want to grab your mask and just slap it on your face. <laughs> I do. Don and I were in the cinema recently, and there were four young lads at the back, and they were just giving it that all the time. We're 20 minutes into the movie, and they're still going for it, and, and, and Jesus left the building, and I'm sort of sitting there, and, I, and Don's going, leave it, leave it, leave it, don't say anything, and the Irishman within me rose up, and the Christian left the room. And I leaned forward. We were sitting on the back row at the end, and they were sitting at the back row in the middle. I leaned forward. I said, hey! Everybody looked around. He said, hey, I didn't pay my ticket to listen to you. Shut up. Honestly, did I do that or not? I, I, I just, the red mist came down. My veins were popping out. It was like, for a moment, I wasn't saved. And then I had to repent and become a Christian again. But the good news is, they shut up. So that was great. Uh, having an Irish accent comes in useful because it sounds pretty edgy when you get angry. Hey. We know where you live, mate. We'll come and get you. Shut up. And so, so I, I got these guys to shut up. So anyway, I, I love, I, and the last movie I went to see, Top Gun. Come on. <gasps> Testosterone City. Come on. What a movie. It's fantastic. Now, I took my youngest daughter, Beth Ann, 21, and she went with me. She hadn't seen the first Top Gun, but I said, listen, I'll give you the dialogue. And I sort of went through it for her really quickly. So she didn't even watch the first one, but she very quickly got the second one because the second one's basically the first one, but a bit different. Uh, and so, but it's amazing. Tom Cruise. Tom, he's so amazing. And when you're watching Tom fly in that plane, you go, wow, you're in the plane with him. You know, the emotion, the passion, the stuff that's going, when they drop those bombs, you think, they really did that? It's all computer generated, but they really did that. They really, like he really practiced dozens of times dropping that bomb right in that little hole. And then you, you, you're just engrossed in the movie. Two hours, completely engrossed. It was amazing. Even Beth Ann loved it. And then you come out of the movie and you realize this. 
All of that was pretend. All of it. None of it was real. Now, Tom, I think Tom really flies the plane himself, doesn't he? He does his own stunts. But everything else, probably, completely, it looks real, but it's not real. And one of the most amazing things about actors is they get us to believe what we're seeing. Most incredible thing. The next time you watch the Oscars, remember this. We are awarding people an award for being a first-class hypocrite. <laughs> no, that's the truth. I'm using the word properly. The word hypocrite literally means, it's a compound Greek word, and it literally means under to judge. That's what it means. And it means this. You are uh, misleading people into judging you in a different way other than what you are. That's what the word means. So, so actually, I wasn't using it in a nasty sense. I wasn't calling Tom a hypocrite in the bad sense. I was calling Tom a hypocrite in the true meaning of the word. He's a play actor. He's getting me to look at him as he's someone else and to believe that he's someone else, at least for two hours, in the cinema. And it's really interesting that Jesus in the New Testament is the only person to use the word hypocrite. He uses it 18 times in the Gospels. And he generally reserves it for the religious community who are pretending to be something they're not. And he's really upset with them. He's not upset because they're religious. He's not upset because they've got some strange ideas which he disagrees with. He's upset because they are pretending to be something they are not. That's what's upsetting him. He really gets annoyed at them because of that issue. And I want to challenge you with this idea. You will never have to become someone else to get what the Lord has for you. So it's one thing hiding yourself. Now listen, listen to me carefully. If you have to hide yourself to get what you think the Lord has for you, then that's, that's not for you. But, but if, you have, if you feel you have to become somebody else to get that, if you have to pretend to be somebody else, then that's not for you either. And I want, can I say this really carefully? And I'm standing in a beautiful church with beautiful people, but I've been doing this a million years. The church can put as much pressure on you to pretend to be somebody you're not as a secular society can. Very quiet. That's the truth. That's what I've discovered. Even in ministry, can I say, is this okay, pastor? Even in ministry, even as a doctor and a pastor, I've been in situations where I have felt the pressure to be somebody other than I'm not. To dress in a certain way, to preach in a certain way, to avoid certain subjects, to, to actually lean into something. And, and, and it really is a pressure. And sometimes you're in a situation where you go, actually, I want this so much, I'm prepared to pretend to be somebody for 10 minutes, for 30 minutes, for an hour, just to get that cool thing. To be in that cool room, to be with that cool crowd, to get that invitation to that cool conference. And I want to encourage you, don't do that. Because every time you do that, something in your soul will diminish. Because the Lord loves you, not the person you're pretending to be. Come on. He loves you. And in fact, the person you're pretending to be is going, what? What are you doing that for? What are you acting like that for? That's not you. Wise up. 
come on, be the person I've made you to be. My, my youngest daughter, Beth Ann, I love her very, very much. She just turned 21. She's fabulous. You would love her. She's a complete capital E extrovert, right? She's like energy city. If we could sort of plug Beth Ann into the power grid, we would never have to pay for a fuel bill for the rest of our lives. She's just a dynamo. She's an incredible girl, lovely girl. And she's in her, just finished her second year in Bible college. And, and you know, she, she, she loves Jesus. She's studying to follow Jesus. But, you know, she's also got her antenna out for a good man. You know, she's, she, she'd like to meet a good godly man who loves Jesus, who knows what he's about, knows what he wants to do and wants to go for it. And she's a bit frustrated at the moment with that journey and has to be said. I won't say any more than that. Um, but, but, but she came home and said, Dad, I've, I've met a really nice guy. And she, she was quite sweet on him. She's talking to me and her mom. And she said to me, Dad, he's really lovely. He's, and she listed all these wonderful things. And I said, well, what's the problem? And she said, well, oh, oh that, that's Beth Ann. That's Beth Ann. Yeah, you're, you're, you're thinking, how on earth did a good-looking girl like that come out of him? I have no idea. It's, it's, down, to, it's down to my wife. I have no idea how that happened. Oh, no, whoa, easy. I, I have no idea how she happened. She's absolutely gorgeous, amazing. Um, and, she said, and she listed off all these cool qualities. And I said, well, darling, what's the problem? She said, well, Dad, he doesn't believe in women in leadership. He doesn't believe in women in ministry. And, and Beth Ann, if you meet Beth Ann, after two minutes, you'll know leader. I mean, she just screams leader. If she was a boy, they'd be all over her. You know, it's that, it's that sort of, and she is, she's been a leader since she was knee high to a grasshopper. She is just, she'll walk into a room that's empty and she'll just take leadership of it if no one else will do it. She's an incredible person with an incredible ministry. She said, I really, really like him. And I said this to her. I said, darling, listen very, very carefully. If you have to pretend to be somebody else to get him, he will never be the man you need. Never be that. Listen, if, if for whatever you, and I'm not even talking now about relationships, I'm talking about jobs. I'm talking about uh, not just physical uh, uh, relationships in terms of members of the opposite sex, but any relationship you're in, if relationships you're in are demanding you become someone else to fit with them, then that, that's not for you. Let them change before you do. Now, I'm not talking about your character. Your character needs to change constantly, like mine did in the cinema. But I'm talking about you as you. Does that make sense to you? You will never have to become someone else to get what the Lord has for you. Here's the last idea why Jacob sort of covered up. Thirdly and quickly, to get what was not his. This is the killer blow here. Look at the text. Genesis 27, verse 27. This is Isaac speaking. As Jacob leans in, he says this. Ah, the smell of my son is the smell of a field. <laughs> I have no idea what that smells like. Uh, but the smell of my son is like the smell of a field. I don't know if we've got that bottled anywhere or have a pump spray or anything like that. But it says that the Lord has blessed. Now, let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. Who was Isaac smelling? When Isaac said, ah, the smell of my son, who was he smelling? Well, it's not a trick question. Who was he smelling? 
Okay, there's only two people he can be smelling. That's, that's how I... Okay, was it Esau or was it Jacob? Who's he smelling? Who thinks it's Esau? Who thinks it's Jacob? Who's terrified to answer in case they get it wrong? Okay. Well, here's who he's smelling. He's smelling Esau. Remember, he was, Jacob was wearing Esau's clothes. Now, remember, Isaac's blind. He can't see. So when Isaac leans in to, Esau, uh, to, to, to Jacob, he's not smelling Jacob. He's smelling Esau. Now, he, look what happens next. This is so, so powerful Ver, uh, in, in the context of, of, of this idea that actually it's in the basis of smelling Esau that he gives him the blessing. So who does Isaac think he's giving the blessing to? Esau. This blessing wasn't intended for Jacob. This blessing was intended for Esau. And Jacob is taking something that was never intended for him. Now this is a difficult one for some people. Lots of people will disagree with me on this because they will say, hold on a minute, the promise was that the older would serve the younger. Absolutely, but not this way. Not this way. Listen, you'll never have to steal or borrow or, you know, break the law or, or compromise yourself to get to the purposes of God. Yes, the older will serve the younger. And eventually Esau or Edom served Jacob or Israel. Eventually that happened, but not this way, not this way, not by stealing, not by lying, not by cheating, not by compromising. Jacob has the audacity to say, the Lord your God give me success. Wow. He's not even, it's not he's just lying. He's just, he's just accredited his deceit to God. It's an amazing moment. And Jacob ends up getting something that wasn't his. Now, when you end up getting something that's not yours, then you've got to deal with that. You've got to live with that. You've got to now carry that. You've got to be the person who makes that work. And suddenly now you've been burdened with something that you weren't designed for. Square peg in a round hole. But later on in chapter 28 of Genesis, when the whole thing gets worked out a little bit, Isaac gives a blessing to Jacob. And listen to these words. Now, this is, this is the blessing he should have had. In Genesis 28, it says this. May God Almighty bless you, and may he make you fruitful and increase your numbers until you become a community of peoples. May he give you and your descendants the blessing given to Abraham so that you may take possession of the land where you now live as an alien, the land God gave to Abraham. Now, if you look at that blessing very closely, it sounds like the blessing God gave to Abraham. It sounds like the blessing God gave to Isaac. And now it's the blessing God gave to Jacob. Now, let me ask you a question. The previous question was when Isaac gave the blessing to Jacob, who was he smelling? Well, he was smelling Esau. Now in chapter 28, when he's giving the blessing, metaphorically, Who's Isaac seeing? Who's in front of him? Well, it's Jacob. And now that Isaac sees Jacob, he gives Jacob what was rightfully Jacob's. That's so, so important. You will never have to compromise truth. You will never have to compromise God's standards. You will never have to compromise righteousness. You will never have to compromise morality 
to get what the Lord has for you. And if you have to compromise your standards, if you have to compromise yourself, compromise your belief system, compromise your followership of Jesus in some way to get something, that is not for you. Whether it's within the church or outside of the church. 20 years later, Jacob is in front of another man. This man is now the Lord. And he's wrestling with the Lord in the garden. 20 years after this event. And as he's wrestling with the Lord in the garden, Genesis 32 will give you this story. The man who is, in a sense, the Lord wrestling with Jacob asks Jacob a really strange question. He says to Jacob, what is your name? Now, why is that a strange question, John? Well, because God already knew his name. God already knew who he was. God already knew where he had come from. God knew everything about Jacob. In fact, it's God who met Jacob in that garden. Jacob was alone and the Lord came to him. So the Lord already knew the answer to this question. Why does God ask Jacob the question, what's your name? Because he wants to know if Jacob will be honest with him. 20 years before, Isaac said, who is it? And Jacob said, I am Esau. And as a result of saying that, he ended up getting something that wasn't for him and living somewhere he was never meant to live. He lived in exile for 20 years. That wasn't the plan of God. The plan of God was to take him to the land of promise. Now God says to him 20 years later, what's your name? And he goes, and it's really emphatic in the Hebrew. He just goes, Jacob. He like spits it out. Jacob. And God says to him this, you will no longer be Jacob, but you are Israel. Because Jacob was honest, God was able to change him. If Jacob had have answered any other name, God couldn't have made him Israel. God could only make him Israel because Jacob was honest about being Jacob. For the first time in his life, Jacob was honest before God and God was able to step into his world and do something powerful. Sometimes hiding hurts. Sometimes hiding is a sensible thing to do. It's a wise thing to do. It's a natural thing to do. But when it comes to your relationship with the Lord, hiding is a dangerous thing to do. There's no need to hide yourself because, listen to me, next gen, you will never have to hide who you are to get what the Lord has for you. Hiding is bad enough, but, but we move into pretending. And, and this is even more dangerous. We then become someone we are not. And the energy required to be someone you're not is immense. And we end up then living a life that we're really not supposed to live and receiving things that really we're not designed to carry. And all the time, the Lord wants us to be honest before him and say, listen, stop pretending. Take the mask off. Take Esau's clothes off. Take the goat's skin off. I know who you are. I love you as you are. I'm committed to you as you are. I want to use you as you are. And if you will be honest before me, and when I ask the question, what's your name, and you tell me your name, and tell me that honestly, then I can take that person, and I can change that person. I can use that person. I can lead that person. I can transform that person. Because we are being prepared to be honest with him. 
Why don't you stand with me as I draw this to a close? I want to pray for you. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for having me at Next Gen. I know I'm an old person, but it's wonderful to be with you. And you know, we have three children together that are the same age group as many of you in this room. We've tried to raise our kids authentically. We've tried to raise them showing them an authentic faith. We've tried to show them that faith works not just on a stage, but in the house. That faith works every day. We have two daughters and a son, and we've tried, we've tried not to create a template that they all have to fit into. Rather, we've tried to start the journey by asking, who are you? And help us. Let us help to grow the person you are not the person we would like you to be or the person Dr. John would like you to be or the person even society would like you to be, but the person you are. And, and our kids, you know, we're, we're still learning. We're still stumbling as parents. We're still making mistakes. My goodness, some days I don't know how to spell the word dad. I'm still learning how to do it. And our, young, our youngest is 21 and our oldest is 29. And sometimes we have to keep reminding them to be the person they were made to be, not the person other people want them to be. Because God cannot change the person you're pretending to be. He can only change and use the person you are. Who's this? I'm Esau, your firstborn. 20 years later, God says to the same man, what's your name? He says, Jacob, a moment of freedom, a moment of transformation, a moment of revelation, a moment when his life changed forever. And Israel, the word Israel, name Israel, title Israel, a nation Israel was born. And when was Israel born? In a moment of profound honesty. When a man <laughs> took off his mask, said this is me stop running and threw himself into the presence of the Lord so I'm going to pray for you I don't want to make an appeal as such I think this is a very it's a very powerful private issue here there's something I don't just want a quick response from you I want you to reflect on this I don't want to wind something up and get you to do something you're not ready to do because when the Lord asks your name you've got you've got to be ready to answer that but I do want you to know this. He knows who you are. He loves you as you are. He's committed to you as you are. He wants to lead you as you are. And he wants to demonstrate his glory in the person you are. Not the person you're pretending to be. So when you go home tonight or when you go to a restaurant, you take the mask off and you go, oh, and you blow your nose and you wipe your face and you go, oh, so good to have that mask off. Remember, that's how God wants you to live. In a place of, oh, it's good. So Lord Jesus, I pray for every one of these beautiful people in this room. You know every one of us intimately. 
You know the deepest secrets of our hearts. You know the struggles of our souls. You know the vulnerabilities and the weaknesses of our journey. You know our joys, our fears, our gifts, our feelings, our successes. You know everything about us. And you are relentlessly committed to us. You love us. Lord, I pray that each one of us will come to a revelation that we don't need to hide. We don't need to hide from you, Lord Jesus. We don't need to hide from your presence. We don't need to hide from your word. We don't need to hide from your eyes. We don't need to hide from you, Jesus, because you love us as we are. Lord, I pray for my friends that if any of us are hiding or any of us are pretending, that we will have the courage in your presence to take the mask off and be truly honest with you. Lord, we don't want to carry stuff we're not designed to carry. We don't want to hold a burden that we weren't built for. We don't want to try and use a gift that we haven't got. Lord, we want to have the freedom to be who we are in you and do what you've designed us to do. And so, Lord, I pray that that freedom will come to every one of us, that in the secret place, as well as the public place, that when you ask our name, we will be able to say it without fear, without anxiety, because we know that you are a God who knows our name, has our name inscribed on the palm of your hand, and wants to take our name, transform our lives, and use us for your glory. So Lord, seal your word in our hearts right now. We're about to go and have some food and have some fellowship and go back to a world. And some of us are going back to a world that wants us to hide, that wants us to pretend, that wants us to pick up a burden that isn't ours. And Lord, we've got to negotiate that, but we ask you to help us. We ask you to lead us. We ask you to give us faith and courage and revelation and clarity so that we can live as Jacob and not and not succumb to the temptation of being Esau. So Lord, may you bless every one of us, guard our hearts, guide our steps, and bless our ways in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, next gen, let's respond to the Lord with a song. Jesus is calling.